We uh, were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 last week. That was really a setup for the section that we're, uh, we're in tonight. It was part of it, but I just wanted to spend that one verse on, on the Word of God and uh, showing the power of the Word of God and how it works in us. The importance of the Word of God is how it works works powerfully in the believer. And when we believe the Word and we live by the Word, then it forms us into what Christ wants us to be um, formed into. And all at the same time, we're being formed in a society that is sinful, that it's anti-God, and sometimes it's a world that is hostile against what uh, we believe. And of course, a lot of it depends on the condition of the society at the time. Uh, sometimes it can be very peaceful for Christians, and other times it can be um, very challenging, and sometimes uh, it can bring more uh, challenges than one can ever desire. But um, God uses what what you were talking about there um, in the sense of whatever situation that we can be in, whether it be suffering and persecution or where He brings us to, or He brings us to our knees. Uh, no matter what the source is, God uses it as a tool for uh, our growth, for our spiritual maturity. And of course, Scripture addresses the whole idea of what um, what suffering is about in various ways and what the goal really is of. So that's why when you look at this verse 13, then you see that that sets up what is to come in the next few verses. And uh, Paul was really thankful for these Thessalonians because they had received the Word and um, not only received it, but they took it into their lives and uh, let it perform its work in them. They were true Christians and the courage that they had uh, is uh, quite incredible. Of course, it was done by the master craftsman, wasn't it? As uh, he promoted their growth, uh, he built their faith, he transformed their lives, and all their values, their priorities, uh, everything that they were about before became changed. And of course, the silver then became pure and the dross was eliminated. And God demonstrates His power uh, in, their, in the testimony that they have uh, because of that Word of God that uh, started uh, right from the very outset when Paul brought the Gospel. Uh, Warren Wiersbe writes uh, about this section here, here's one of the great values of the local church. We stand together in times of difficulty and we encourage one another. It was when Elijah isolated himself from the other faithful Israelites that he became discouraged and wanted to quit. One reason that Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica was to encourage the believers because they too could have felt like quitting because everything started turning against them as far as their own countrymen, their own people that uh, you know they grew up with, they they had lived with, whatever. Um, so he uh, he sends Timothy back, and of course he he had a concern for all the churches that we as we see throughout the New Testament, um, but they could have been very vulnerable. Satan's attacks, and he attacked uh, very hard uh, through the persecution. And so they needed each other, and through the battles of life, what Paul's going to do here is remind them of the, the things that they were going through from their own countrymen is the same thing that was going on way back in Jerusalem where the church first started. And they got persecution from their own countrymen, the Jews, whereas they got their persecution from their own people, even the, the Gentiles. So this is what Paul is addressing in uh, this section tonight. And so again, he gives great encouragement and, and these people are, are able to stand up and to withstand the ongoing attacks that were uh, very heavy. Why don't we uh, take a moment and pray? Father, we uh, thank You for Your Word again. We look to You for Your truth. Help us learn who You are. Help us to learn Your purpose, Your very desire for us. And You use everything for the good. We thank You, Lord, for that as we learn more and more that we know that things are not by accident. They are designed ultimately by You. And um, 
as we look at the Thessalonians, we see a model church. May it help us be able to um, look at this model and see how you work through your people. In Jesus' name, amen. We're we're at uh, verse 14. And we'll start at verse 13. For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. So, there we have Paul thanking the Lord for the Thessalonians, and then he tells them and addresses them as brethren um, that they are imitators. They are imitators of the true Christians all the way down in uh, Jerusalem and Judea. starts off with, uh, for you brethren, for this, uh, for there means a cause. Uh, a reason, an explanation. We have a reason, explanation after coming uh, with um, that verse on the Word of God. That's a specific, uh, I guess you could say a general statement. Now he comes to the specific illustration and what God was doing with him. And he introduces like a proof, a proof of the power of the working of the Word of God. The proof is them. Here it is. They were able to take the most hostile situations and with the Word of God be able to conquer um, all those kind of sufferings. And so he uses the word for uh, a cause, a reason, explanation about this general statement of the Word. And you think in in, uh, in James 1.21 it um, talks about the implanted Word. James 1.21 that implanted word is engrafted in us. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls, to deliver you. The word implanted, it only saves us for salvation, justifies us, but it also keeps us saved in sanctification, but it delivers us out of those situations uh, or be able to go through those situations. And here he's just talking about personal sin, filthiness, uh, put it aside, wickedness. And it says, humble yourself. That Word of God is able to deliver you, to be able to bring you through. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Because uh, the desires of sin are always there. We know that uh, that's what we battle with constantly. And so he... Uh, he says that it's implanted. It's it's in you. It's part of you now. The indwelling Word. Good to know, isn't it? The Word of God dwells. It lives. It's a living thing. Nothing compares with the Word of God. So anyway, they were reproducing what was being already done in Judea. Uh, he says the church is a God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. You have become like them. It's a pretty, pretty powerful thing because we know that they continued on in, in their faith. Um, this whole suffering thing, I was in James 1 there. Um, right in the second verse, James addresses that immediately. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have the perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Maturing 
that's a profit from these kind of trials, these tribulations, and things that come against us. So there, there's dealing with the word for, uh, the cause, for this, because of this. It's proof of the powerful working of the Word of God. And then he gets into the, 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 the commonality, commonality uh, of the persecution, and, and he uses the word imitators, um, mimetes, mimic, right? To mimic is to... Uh, to model, it's to become like, to follow after another. whole idea is to, to mimic them. And usually that's a negative connotation, isn't it? But in the, in the New Testament and, and Paul's usage, I think it's, I'll say almost always, or always is, um, a good connotation. Because he <laughs> says, follow Christ, imitate Christ. Paul will also say what? Imitate me, follow me. And so he uses that again. And uh, so it's a good thing. It's dealing about modeling. Find somebody that you can see and, and model after them. Well, they, uh, they were imitators. Even though they hadn't seen the church in Jerusalem, Paul had. He knew who they were. And matter of fact, I think he's giving a good uh, recommendation of how the situation was in Jerusalem and how the church had been faithful there. And I think he's commending the apostles too. If you remember that, of course, James is there, um, but uh, some of the apostles had uh, worked there and built up the church. So it has a really good spiritual, moral emphasis in the way that that's used. Um, so you compare the problems in Thessalonica. may not be exact same problems, but it still comes out with the same result. Here are the fellow Greeks of the Thessalonians their fellow countrymen, uh, they're feeling the same kind of experience as the Jews are treating the uh, Christian Jews in Jerusalem. It's a, and, and the result is this. It's a continual quarrel with the, with the world. Uh, the world is in opposition to the Word of God. <laughs> as the Word of God becomes implanted in us, we now think differently. We act, behave differently. We are different people, and sometimes you don't even say a word, and it offends people. <laughs> and that's true. And that's that is a biblical term there in the New Testament. We are a peculiar people, but that can be very offensive too. And so they can be in opposition to the Savior right there in the very first century. Not only the first century, right off the very get-go, there was opposition. To the church, that's the bone of contention. The common bond that Christians have is the very bone of contention that the world uh, has there. No matter what the geographical location, so you can be all the way out there in Thessalonica, and they respond the same way, even though they're not Jews that are responding to the Christian now Christian Thessalonians. It's their own people, and in, of course in Jerusalem are the Jews. Now is um, is he is he getting on to the Jewish people like anti-Semitic here? Is Paul doing that? No, he's not anti-Semitic at all. Uh, of course, a lot of people would would take it that way, you know, bigotry, right? It's a religious bigotry that's going on there, and um, uh, he's just stating a fact. Uh, this is what was going on. It's just like. Um, when you see what um, what kind of things happening in the world, the jihad, for instance, of course, the latest incident was in London last night, right? You guys heard all about that? Uh, no, it wasn't in London. I'm sorry. It was, yeah, Manchester. Um, and of course, they've been in London. They've been there. Been in France, Paris, and thereabouts. And it'll continue on, and it'll probably mount uh, mount up more and more. Um, the thing is, is it wrong to say that these are Muslims doing that? Well, nobody's going to say that anymore. That's the problem that England is having, that France is having. They won't recognize where this is really coming from because if they say anything against them, then it's it's going to create all sorts of problems. Either you, you're a hater or something, well, but truth is truth. Well, and Methodists that are killing the people. Right, exactly. Do you hear Christians going around doing this kind of thing? Well, they would yeah. say we're Right, right. 
That's not, so, that's not. So the idea, the idea is, uh, they don't, they don't want to be represented or, or to have representatives that aren't uh, displays of uh, the nature of that religion or group. You know. but the world doesn't want to exactly. blame anyone because then everyone's going to start pointing fingers. It's going to become. <laughs> Right, tolerating. Yeah. Right. Well, it's not politically correct to blame a Muslim for anything, only a Christian. But you know who is settling and is responsible for settling a lot of the Muslims here in the U.S.? You know who's who's doing that for the government? Catholic and Lutheran foundations. Catholic Church and Lutheran Church. They're the ones combination. Yeah, but so, I mean, they're not the ones strapping backpacks on themselves and going into credit no, places and saying, kill you in the name of God. They're, they're the ones helping them get federal funding and everything else. They're you mean the, the Syrians that are coming into yeah, the country? Yeah, Syrians and, mm -hmm. and lots of other ones, refugees. They're, they're the organizations that are, huh? They've been helping them They've been helping all of it. I mean, yeah. and they're being paid by the federal government to do that. To bring in mm -hmm. illegal aliens, right? And, and settle them and get them on all the welfare the rolls. Cities over. And everything. Yeah, yeah. The it'd be so, it'd so be another thing if they, they were doing the missionary work well, with them. They claim to be. I mean, they're Christians, so it's part of the Christian fellowship. That's. I mean, I just find it very. It's like, do you know what you're doing? in the name of Christianity sometimes. Well, what are we going to do with all these people, though, when they make the sanctuary cities illegal? Like they have in Texas, is what I yeah. want to know. Are they just going to let them out on the streets, and then they're going to wreak even more havoc? Well, a lot of them are moving, like Oklahoma. They're all moving out of Oklahoma because they're no longer getting any funding. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Then where are they going to go? They're going to built their own little tent cities and wreak havoc everywhere. They should go to Colorado. <laughs> Smoke pot. Yeah. I mean, it'll all be happy. Yeah. Leave everybody all ways away and be yeah. Oh, yes, the United <laughs> States. <huh? laughs> yeah, well. Land of opportunity. We know that we are not uh, hate mongers. We're not uh, people of hate. Matter of fact, we're people of love, and we want to take the gospel to them. Uh, that would be the whole key element is why we would go to to anyone. Um, and so the bigotry that some people would be saying that's happening here—that's not what Paul's doing. And by the way, it was—it was who, who killed Jesus? Well, it was the Jews. But who else who killed them literally is the Romans, which is the, the Gentiles. And really when it comes down to it, I killed him because my sin he died for on the cross. So everybody did kill him. Um, the Jews, of course, um, there were a certain select of them uh, groups that were out to get Paul because he was making an impact with the Gospel. And of course, they not only did it in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. They kept following him all the way as he went on every part of his missionary journey. There they were dogging him. Um, but what, what's interesting, if you are one who's just become a Christian, in Thessalonica, Christianity is brand new, and people you have grown up with who you know who are friends or maybe even family are turning against you, they're your countrymen, and now they're persecuting you because you believe in this gospel. That kind of had to turn them on their heads. They had to be really confused, you know, with what was going on. Uh, they were standing up for the faith, but I'm sure that they were surprised and extremely hurt by it. I think we would be too if our own people um, started 
persecuting us in, in a harsh way. Um, Paul reminds them that, hey, listen, you know what? You guys are imitators just like the Judean church is, the Jerusalem church. You're just you're going through the same things that they are. It's a word of encouragement, is what he's using. Because they were doing it. They were, they were cutting through this. They weren't bailing out. I'm sure that uh, they probably wondered sometimes, is it, is it worth it? All you have to do is be reminded of the truth. And because they believed this truth, and they didn't have New Testaments, they didn't have um, Bibles as we do to turn to. They had what Paul had taught them. And uh, whoever, uh, maybe Timothy comes along and, and teaches them more. And hopefully as some of that the, the letters that were circulatory were being spread around, that uh, they were getting a hold of that and kind of duplicating it or reading it and teaching it. Um, but anyway, that's that's quite a compliment. That they were imitators of them. They go, oh, really? Yeah, you're going through the same kind of thing that happened to them. Um, the Jews, we know, were definitely opposed to the Gospel. Of course, where does that come from? Satan, ultimately. Um, I think it's interesting while they're in Judea, you know, a different geographic place. Here's the the key phrase: in Christ, in Christ. The the ones who were Christians in Thessalonica were in Christ, just like the Christians who were in Jerusalem in Christ, and that's what they had in common. It's quite a bond, isn't it? And that's the contention. <laughs> that's the contention when the body of Christ as agreeing upon something even though they have never ever even met. That's an incredible thing. That's another thing the Word of God does. So we go to uh, verse 15. You also endured the same sufferings of the hands of your own countrymen even as they did from the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. So we have an illustration here of rejection of the Word of God. And um, there is a continuation of the rejection and a continuation of uh, persecution. And what, um, what we see here is, I think Paul is kind of touching on some history of um, the Jews and the very nature or character of these persecutors as they have always been around to hinder the Word of God. You go back to the Old Testament time period and you see the prophets. Um, they killed the prophets. They killed the Lord Jesus. They killed the very early church believers. Of course, you think of Stephen. So Paul's reminding the Thessalonians uh, about the own countryman and even familymen is uh, par for the course. This is what happens. This is... What it is. This is a continuation of what Satan has always done. And then his people that he uses. It's, this is the world's fight against God's plan of salvation. This is really what it is. God has a plan, and He's going to make it come through, but at the same time, it's going to be contention all the way through. So, a little bit of history. Go to Luke 20. There's a parable there. And in that parable, you really get a picture, a full picture of the story of the people that God had chosen to bring the Word of God to. Here is actually Satan and the world's fight against God's plan. But it started with the Jewish people. It began to tell the people this parable. This is in verse 9. 20 verse 9. A man planted a vineyard, rented it out to vine growers, and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard, but the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also, and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. 
What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, May it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. The scribes, the chief priest, tried to lay hands on him. That very hour, they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. So they watched him, sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. Tells a story, doesn't it? That is Jewish history, really. The prophets kept coming. God was so gracious in giving them prophets and warning them, giving them good news. The gospel was actually preached by the prophets. And so they kept killing them and uh, they wanted their own prophets. They wanted what was false prophets. They wanted to hear just all good things about them (laughs) for them. So um, they had their own prophets kill the true prophets that come from God and then finally the Son of God comes and they kill Him. uh, Did the uh, scribes, chief priests, the leaders there understand what he was talking about? Very clearly. They wanted him killed right there, just like who he was talking about. And he is the one that they were looking for, the Messiah. So here's the character of the persecutors as we turn back to the Thessalonians. And it's the same pattern, it's the same style that you see all throughout the Old Testament. It doesn't change. They killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God. That's pretty easy to understand. Uh, They're not pleasing to God. It was a constant condition for the Jewish nation. Uh, really as as a whole. Uh, of course, there was a believing remnant all throughout uh, those years. But especially the religious leaders who rejected Christ, they turned the majority of the people against um, Him and His Word, His real truth, even though they carried the Word of God, but their reinterpretations and their traditions far outweighed the Scripture anyway, didn't it? Um, but this is typical of a righteous, a self-righteous person as they saw themselves righteous. Did they have a zeal for God? Boy, did they have a zeal. They really had a zeal. If, if you go to uh, Romans, he starts off the um, great sovereignty of God chapter in, in chapter 9. He gets um, his feelings and his thoughts about his own countrymen. It starts off in verse 1. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all God blessed forever Amen boy they had it all I mean here it says that of course they're Israelites they're adopted as sons the the covenants the very glory all that went with that the giving of the law the temple the, the promises the 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 history of the, the early church fathers, you think of Abraham and Moses who they claim, and all according to and pointing to the Messiah, Christ. And they had all that. And he says, I wish myself accursed if they would become saved. And then in chapter 10, he starts all over that again with something like this. 
Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. The one true God. It's not the Muslim God. This is the one true God. They have a zeal for Him, but then the next phrase, but not in accordance with knowledge. Not in accordance with what Scripture says. For not knowing about God's righteousness, that's what Scripture points to, doesn't it? It's God's righteousness. And seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. No matter how much zeal they had, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They wanted all the heritage and all the everything that was great about it except for the truth of it. Right. And because if you were a Jew, then you too are you are the chosen one no matter what you're in this uh, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes so there we go Paul's view of the nation of Israel and and his concern for them um, he, had, he had mentioned that they were guides to the blind right um, those walking in could have been walking in light, they were in darkness and they led them through that and in it. No reality of a knowledge of who God is. Uh, I think of Matthew 23.16. Maybe Jesus' most scathing rebuke against the religious leaders. 23, verse 16, that whole chapter. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Anyway, that whole chapter, he's condemning the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Shut off the kingdom of God uh, for the other people. And they thought they were actually pleasing God. It was all in the name of God. All in the name of Him. And they persecuted the Christians. But in reality... Uh, we see here that the, they did not please God. Um, in John 16.2, it says, they will make you outcast from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. So they're doing in the name of God, let's see, uh, in the name of Allah. When you see these suicides, they're done in the name of Allah. It's done for Him, to please Him. And it will gain them eternal life. So what a trade that they have. They, they actually think they're pleasing God. Of course, Allah is, a, is an absolute different God. In this case, the Jews knew something of the God of the Bible, but they didn't know His righteousness. They didn't really know Him. They're going to have eternal life, just not the one they thought about. That's not the life of God, is it? Yeah. yeah. They think they're pleasing God. They think they're observing the law just like the Jews thought they observed the law, but really they're seeking to establish their own what? Their own righteousness. That is what God hates the most. And it's what all men actually do if they don't bow their knee to Christ and desire His righteousness. Because all other ways are through their uh, and one's own righteousness. They, you know, they can never please God. Yeah, it's not nothing to stand on there. Um, sad. That's where we go. Look at Romans two nineteen. We were in Romans nine and ten. Romans two nineteen kind of uh, sums this up pretty good, I think. It, you know, in in Romans one, he starts talking about the wrath of God. When he gets into chapter two. He starts talking, you know, he's talking about his righteous justice of God, and of course he 
He's going to have to demand justice. He runs down and brings the Gentile, brings the Jew all the way down to the ground. He shows them they are nothing. Of course, in chapter 3, it's uh, he blasts it with both barrels, you know, especially in verses 10 through 18. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Jews, Gentiles alike, every man, woman, and child who's ever been born. Well, in, in Romans 2.19, with, with, in that context, he, he condemns the Jew. In chapter 2 of Romans, he comes in and condemns the Jew right off the bat. And I'm saying 19. Let's start in 17. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law, your self-righteousness about obeying the law, and boast in God, and know His will, and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law. Boy, did they know the law. They knew that. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? Yeah, they were. You, you who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Yeah, they did. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? They actually were. You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. And then he gets on the circumcision. So he blasts the Jewish, religious, self-righteous people. And they thought they were pleasing God. Yeah. So look what the Jews did to, to the Gentiles. What a witness there. Huh? Yeah. So it's definitely uh, not pleasing. It's, it's certainly against God Himself. Uh, the Thessalonians were on God's side, the ones who had become Christians. And the persecution that came was an act not only upon them, but really it was an act of, against God. It's, it's against Him. Uh, and it's, a, it's really a token of their right relationship with Him as they represent Him. So they're displeasing to God. There's the whole irony while they thought they were pleasing. And then the next line says this. But hostile to all men. They're not pleasing to God and then they're not hostile to men. So not only is this against God, but it's against the Thessalonians here, for instance. It's against the ones who were in Judea and everywhere else. They were opposed to people. They were hostile to all men, specifically the ones who trusted in the gospel. When men fail to please God, they will ultimately stand in opposition to the rest of mankind, especially believers. And that's individually or corporately. Really, they live for themselves, ultimately. And even people that are not Christians, they can go up against them too and do them disfavor. Um, so they are useless not only to God but to, to men. Pleasing God means learning to live for others. So if we please God, one way to do it is by actively acting it out and doing it with people who are around us. With those in the household of faith, and those even outside the household of faith. Um, learning to live for them, not, not simply to please self. So it says it's, they're hostile to mankind. Um, they do their own nation, if they happen to be leaders, disservice. Um, so it's not only displeasing God, but it's up against hostile to men. The benefits are taken away from others. Then they use the Paul uses the word hinder. Both kill the Lord Jesus prophets drove us out. They're not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles. What were the Jews about? In Exodus, he told them that they were to be given the law so they would go to the 
rest of the world, to the Gentiles, to the nations. And God was going to use them to do that. Of course, the Word of God came to them first. And of course, the Gospel went out from them as a whole first too. Right, they kept it to themselves and they disdained other people. Um, hinder, it means to keep from, uh, detain from. So, they, 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 would, they would stop or try to, to keep the Word of God from going to the ones who God had intended in the first place. Yeah. Isn't this incredible? These people who were dogging Him all the way that had come from Jerusalem, they are there and they have the opportunity to get this news about the Messiah, which is God's plan all the way through and through. And there they are persecuting those people. Or, or they first are persecuting actually Paul and, and the teachers there, the missionaries I guess you could say. Uh, and, and then they go up and heartily recommend that the, the Gentiles get in with them. And that happened, I think, in Thessalonica, did it not? Let's go back to Acts 17. Verse 5, the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also. Now there you have Jews speaking against Jewish missionaries who are giving the gospel. And they're going to the Gentiles. Yeah. And Jason has welcomed them. They shall act contrary to the decrees of Caesar. See what they're doing? They're going against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So there we go. We see them turning the Gentiles against uh, the people with the good news. So Gentiles there is just referring to pagans in general, not just the Greek, right? It would be any non-Jewish people. Any non-Jewish yeah. people. And the city authorities there would have been um, the, the Gentiles. Right. Not pleasing to God, hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. So that they could be saved. And they hindered us. They stopped us or tried to stop us. Uh, they hindered the propagation of the good news. Then verse 16, as we continue on there, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. So here's the consequence of the persecutors. We just saw the character, nature, and a little bit of the history of them just packed in that verse 14. 14 and 15. And then the, here's where it all leads. It's the consequence of it all. When men reject the message of Christ, then eventually God turns them over to the consequences of, first of all, just their choice. Even though we know that God is in on electing His people at the same time, men are held responsible for what they do and we see what they did with the message of Christ I would say that these people would be held more further responsible for their actions stopping the message of Christ than maybe somebody who just doesn't believe it you know just a plain unbeliever Uh, one who goes out of his way is going to be held more responsible more judgment will be weighted on on them um God sometimes allows men to go into sin. He just lets them do it, doesn't He? More often than not, that seems to be what's happening now and throughout church history and throughout the history of mankind. But it's interesting. You look in Romans 2, verse 4. We were in Romans 2 earlier, speaking about the Jewish people. And that very same chapter, just before you get there, here's how he started off. 
Verse 4, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. It's pretty heavy stuff. And He will render to each person according to His deeds. It's interesting. There He says, He shows His kindness. He tolerates all the... Can you imagine all the sin, the stench that He picks up that we don't even... That we're so used to it and kind of hardened against certain things that can you imagine every sin that has to be a stench to him and yet he's he has toleration he's patient because he wants people this kindness of his will lead them to repentance unfortunately most people do not see his kindness and they don't repent and they have a stubborn and unrepentant heart and they store up wrath for themselves as our Thessalonian passages saying there. Uh, they're filling up the measure of their sins. God just lets them continue to build it up and even more to, to fill up this. Oh boy, they don't know how lost they are and what's ahead of them. And God is providing he, he reigns on the just and the unjust. He's merciful even to not only us, but merciful not in salvation sense, but to the rest of the world that He would just allow it to keep on going. He's wow. such a righteous God, He should wipe everything off the face of the earth. He provides provisions and everything else for them and they don't even give thanks. Right? No thanks. Romans 1 says that. I don't Never know how anybody you. can not know how bad they are. <coughs> After reading Romans chapter 2. Oh. He just cuts everybody down yeah, all the way to the floor level. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's off the subject. It's like the build-up to the gospel. The good news is kind of what it is. The, yeah. the bad news, and then we have the good news. Just can't stop there, can we? But what's what's the good news if we don't Hear the bad news. Everybody wants the, the good news. Sure, everybody wants to go to heaven. Oh, there's a song called that. Everybody wants to go to heaven. That's right. You have to know the bad news. So he allows them to go on in their sin to demonstrate also his righteous judgments when they do come. Look in Genesis 15 16. Same kind of thought. Right near the beginning. It's time of Abram, really. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. He's talking about Abraham's seed and offspring. Then they will come back. He's talking about judgments that will happen. They will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. They've not filled up their sins completely yet. It's talking about uh, God delays His judgment. He didn't bring it on at that time. They were very evil and very wicked. As much as you can even imagine at that time. But uh, as far as God's covenant here and what His concern is, um, um, it's going to only come about whenever He has purposed it and planned it. Um, when you think of the Canaanites, that's kind of dealing with the Amorites here. Um, whenever that would happen, then that's dealing with how they would be entering into the land. What is the iniquity of the Amorites? Well, the iniquity, for one thing, it's of course, it's if you look back at their history, of course, um, they were very idolatrous. Um, they killed their own children. Um, and of course, I think if you if you were to look at it, uh, um, didn't they find Abraham though? Um, with him in I, I think what you have there, yeah, you, are you talking about like God, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? Um, is, is that what you're thinking of? I don't know. Because that's, that's who he fought. fought. with him in some battles, didn't they? 
Um, yeah. The Amorites. Yeah, I was with Sodom and Gomorrah. They fought with him, right? Uh, let's kings. see if we go I, I don't to. Know. I, got that, I get that section confused. Um, all those different kings. Yeah, they're they're like five kings. With each other. That, yeah. that he was with there. Yeah. And and he, you know, ultimately God was uh, he was going to bring judgment upon them, but at that time, um, he was going to let them keep doing what they were doing. Um. Well, we don't need to get into that. That's going to throw you off track. I can catch you afterwards. Yeah, there is a That's specific fine. one. I can go I wished I had um, had that a little bit better on that. There is a specific one where it, it uh, even mentions... This might be one that just... You want to get back to me on that? Hang on just a okay. second. Sorry for the delay there. No, I just no. Said, I don't want to throw you too much off track. Sorry. Well, we're not going to get out of here 15 minutes early. What, well, what time is it? <laughs> you do that. <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but it's already too late to get out 15 minutes early anyway. <laughs> so, oh well. Maybe 15 minutes late. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, we're dealing with whenever Israel comes back to that land, of course, then finally the, the judgment will be done as the nations are driven out. Verse 24 of Leviticus 18 says, Do not defy yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. The land has become defiled. I'll spew them out. Big judgment upon. Um, so uh, there's there's judgment in in men themselves. There's also a judgment that's brought directly against uh, man. That's a second consequence and uh, wrath. And of course, reversed to the judgment that's meted out against the nations. Um, there's a blessing and cursing in Deuteronomy 28, I believe. Do you remember the the blessing? You know, on one side of the mountains you had uh, a blessing, and then on the other side represented, you know, the cursing, uh, the judgment of God. If you do this, this is you know, God will bless you. If you don't do this, and and so the the cursings come, and of course that is dealing with uh, Israel and Judah and uh, even. Roman rule as a as a judgment came from God on Israel, right? They were under many different uh, countries and different kings that ruled over them. And of course, we think of the Romans. There was an even greater judgment, 70 A.D., uh, whenever God judged Israel then. And of course, the Roman armies came and marched on Jerusalem, and um, that was uh, really uh, one of the biggest judgments that we've seen. But there's a future judgment. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, it's called the time of Jacob's distress, the time of Jacob's trouble. Um, that would be a time of tribulation, and it mentions. So that is uh, one that is coming, the coming wrath. Uh, and then finally, we think of the wrath of God in its uh, fullest sense. Um, of course, you think of the great white throne judgment where that final judgment is brought on. That's in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, it'll be brought upon them completely, as it says here in Thessalonians. Wrath has come upon them to the utmost, to the very utmost, to the very end, completely. So there's a wrath that's even going on in this nation today, and it's on in the world as God just lets them do uh, so much of what they're doing. Um, what are the lessons? What are the lessons for us? Well, I think Paul, first of all, is encouraging the Thessalonians here in what they were really going through. Compares them to the Judeans, the, the commonality that they have. Isn't it good to know that there are others alongside us as we battle in the Christian realm? Sometimes you may feel like you're persecuted or other things are going on and then you find out there are other people that are going through the same thing. You find out you're not alone. Doesn't it, doesn't it kind of strengthen you, encourage you 
you know, well, they're going through this. Well, I can do that too. It helps. That's that chain that um, uh, the church, you know, we all become stronger. What happens if an individual's by himself? Gets attacked by Satan, and if he's alone, he's uh, really in trouble. So uh, others had suffered um, before them. There were going to be others who were going to suffer with them. There were going to be others that later on, even after their time, would be suffering. It's all the way through church history to the ones who stay faithful to the Lord. The second thing is the churches in Judea had not been exterminated by the suffering. The church still existed there. It was going strong. They had been purified, if anything. And they had even increased while they were going through that. That's an incredible thing. That's not always the case. Somebody want to join in on all that? <laughs> yeah. Those people get quiet and just kind of fade away when it's tough. What was always said? The blood of the martyrs is the what? The seed of the church. And then third scripture reminds us then that believers are saved to the utmost versus over here the ones where the wrath of God has come them to the utmost. But for the Christian, it's Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, He is able also to save forever or to the utmost I think that might be in the King James might have been there seems like I remember it that way but to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them so to save forever and even if we are killed he's still going to take us to be with him it's not the end of us or he will have us go through that particular time um so as we are saved to the utmost, you have the unbelievers have wrath given to them the utmost. I think this idea of the suffering and the persecution of the Thessalonians is kind of a token of their salvation. It's a token of the judgment also on the persecutors as uh, Paul writes here in the close of this section as we end tonight. So anyway, um, he says, here's what's going to happen. Here's what it is for you guys, but those ones who are persecuting, here's where it's going to wind up. If they continue to do this, if this is their character and their nature, um, they will fill up the measure of their sins and the wrath of God will come upon them. But you, this is just something that's just going to make you stronger and better and you will trust the Lord even more. And it's because of verse 13, the Word of God that has been put into their souls. That's the reason why they can be so powerful to withstand all the persecution. Look at all down through history, the persecution of the church, and you wonder, how could they go through that? I wonder if I could go through that. You know, the hangings or the cutting off of the heads or burned alive. Are you kidding me? But they knew the Word of God and the power of God that was in them. An amazing thing. Anyway, a little encouraging note there, even though it may not seem encouraging, that is encouraging. And that's why he wrote that little piece there for them. Thank you guys for coming out tonight and hear more about uh, suffering and persecution. <laughs> uh-huh. You're not alone. Yeah. Oh, Mick, would you mind closing us with prayer? Can yeah. do that? Okay, thanks. Our Father, thank you for uh, this body of believers uh, placing us in the times and in the exact location we are here, Lord. We know that you have given us everything we need to perform uh, your works prepared for us. So God, um, work through us with your spirit, and may the name of Christ be our banner as we go out and uh, cause
cause every one of us to <coughs> cling to your word and to the rock upon which we stand. So, Lord, uh, may it, while we know it is a stumbling block, stumbling block to others, uh, to us it is our refuge, and, uh, and it can be to others. So, God, may we offer that to Thank you for the truth. Thank you for our standing and establish us uh, even more firm. And let us not waver or doubt. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.